Hey everybody, it's Tony, your host here. Just want to invite you to head on over to tonyfletcher.substack.com and subscribe, if you will, so that you can get yourself a weekly newsletter full of news about this podcast, my other podcast, a Substack-only subscribers podcast that's launching in December 2023, and you'll get additional show notes for this episode and other episodes complete with pictures, links, and even video and music if need be. That's tonyfletcher.substack.com. And now, on with the show. Hey, you! Welcome to episode five of One Step Beyond, a show that encourages you to take a step outside your comfort zone and enrich your life. I'm Tony Fletcher, an author, journalist, broadcaster, and music lover. Mainly, I'm a storyteller. The first four episodes of this show, the mini-series about my group climb to Mount Kilimanjaro last summer, were produced at the studios of Radio Kingston here in the Hudson Valley of New York back in January and February. They were always intended to form the basis of a show I'd been mulling over for many months, one that finds that sweet spot between outdoor activities, purpose-driven travel and personal growth. But I delayed launching the show due to the pandemic and the subsequent lockdown, hoping that by the time this episode rolled around, A. We would all still be here. B. Embracing the outdoors once more. C. Community events would be taking place. And D. I could continue my field recordings in the midst of them. Well, many of us have been embracing the outdoors once more. Although our taking to the streets en masse was probably not what the politicians anticipated when they released the valve on the social pressure cooker less than a month ago. I'll be honest with you. During the period I've been actively working on this episode, I've gone through more anger, frustration and fear. That fear was for democracy, to be clear, than I can remember. And I'm white. And on that important note, people like me, who acknowledge that their skin colour has brought privilege, who agree without qualification that black lives matter, who claim to deplore racism and police brutality in all forms of prejudice, and nonetheless taking a good look at ourselves in the mirror, and considering our actions past, present and future, if we want to be effective allies and build a better world. Look, even the most well-intentioned of folk are all too capable of living in a social bubble, and I've received a torrent of emails from outdoor clothing, equipment, shoe companies and the like, acknowledging as much, and vowing to be more inclusive in their advertising, hiring and management practices moving forwards. If our promises are sincere, then there's reason for cautious optimism. Later in this show, I'll highlight some podcasts that take a deeper dive into these specific issues in ways that overlap with the general mission of One Step Beyond. I'm going to be following up on the Kilimanjaro miniseries by talking to author and tour guide Henry Stedman. I'll discuss how I've been staying active in the hole within my own region as lockdown has eased. And I'll be talking with someone who recently started running as an alternative to dying. So wherever and however this finds you right now, please join me as we go. One step I've always felt like runners must be crazy because I didn't understand why you would do something that was painful and seemingly not much fun. That's a common perception of running amongst those who steer away from it. It's a perception that Kingston High School Spanish and Global teacher Paula Lucas had 
for most of her 52 years, until she took up jogging as the second in a couple of major decisions that she believes may well have saved her life. I sat down recently to interview Paula about her experience, because while taking a step outside your comfort zone can mean climbing a mountain in a foreign country, it may also be, quite literally, stepping outside your door in the first place. We started by talking about the motivating factors that got her running for the first time since her high school gym teacher forced her to do a mile on the track against her will. Back in December 2019, I noticed that I was suffering some health issues and some of those health issues had to do with um, breathlessness, heart palpitations, Um, there are a lot of stairs at my high school and I would go up the stairs and think, is this the moment that I'm going to drop dead on the stairs of my high school and students and colleagues will find me in that state. So I am a person who was raised by two heavily overweight people and I've experienced dieting off and on, losing weight, gaining weight, all of that. So in December, I was experiencing the worst health that I feel that I had, I had ever experienced. And so I made the decision to become a vegan. Um, I had been introduced to plant-based eating probably two years before that. And I was sort of exploring and flirting with it. Um, but finally, on December 27th, I decided that was it. About a week or two into my vegan eating plan... I realized that I was breathing so much better that I wanted to start exercising. So I started exploring what my exercise options were. I didn't want to join a gym, so I wanted to do something that was absolutely free and decided to start running. I knew about Couch to 5K from um, just seeing it previously. And uh, so I looked at it and said, you must be crazy. You don't like running, but it was something I'd never tried before. So a new challenge. For my part, I didn't really know about From Couch to 5K, or if I did, I thought of it more as a catchphrase. Turns out it's much more substantial than that. It's a nine-week program, um, absolutely free, and you simply can find it on the internet. Um, It's a program where you run intervals of, um, you start with a one-minute run and a 90-second walk, and you move up to running three minutes and walking 90 seconds, that sort of thing. I think it it may even be a 30-second run the first couple of days. So it's something so small that you get immediate success. And did you get immediate satisfaction as well? Yes, as a matter of fact. It wasn't horrible, and I kind of felt a little like Rocky that first day. Like, woo, I did it. (laughs) Didn't know if I was going to do it again, but I did it once. She did do it again and again. The process was facilitated by the fact that her morning commute time suddenly became available. I did start running between 6 and 7.30 in the morning. That was mostly based on the fact that I'm a teacher, I'm used to being up early, and school suddenly closed on March 13th, 2020. So I started running on March 14th. This is one of the cruelly ironic outcomes of the coronavirus pandemic. While it has taken so many lives and so many more lives than it needed to here in the States and back in my native UK. Many people use the enforced period of isolation as an opportunity to get fit. I asked Paula if she had acted in part on the correlation between COVID-19 attacking the lungs and running being so good for the lungs. 
Absolutely. I mean, we we all have suffered different varying degrees of fear of contracting COVID-19. So my thought was, what is the healthiest thing that I can do for my body? I'm, I'm in this state of being 52 and 100 pounds overweight. So what can I do? Um, I stuck to my veganism and I just kept running. What would, what, what would you think is the hindrance for most people for running? I mean, what do you think stops most people like yourself that it can go decades where, you, where you're not willing to even just try and jog down the block? Well, the problem is jogging down the block, to be honest. Um, okay, so your audience can't see me, but I am a larger woman. And the last thing I want to be seen doing is running down the block of my neighborhood. So I think there's uh, fear, there's embarrassment, there's fear of injury, um, all kinds of possibilities run through your head. So I chose to do my running in a local cemetery. Free from public scrutiny, running at dawn in a cemetery, Paula was able to focus on the training program. The app is amazing because it tells you when to run and when to walk. Um, the free version um, will run you through uh, each day's run, um, gives you motivational messages. If you want to pay, you can actually get music to go along with your runs. I did pay for it and I thought it was absolutely worth the $5 a month, but um, I would recommend anybody doing Couch to 5K download the app. It makes things so much easier. If you go on YouTube and you look for videos by people who run Couch to 5K, something happens around week five. They either drop out or they start saying, wow, this is really difficult. Some even get injured because in week five, there is, um, you're still doing interval running, but you first day of week five, you do five minute runs. Second day of week five, you do two eight minute runs. And then the final day of week five, you do a straight 20 minute run for the first time. And to be honest, when I saw it, I immediately said, there's no way I can run 20 minutes. I've only been running five minutes at a time with breaks in between. So I talked it out with um, a runner friend of mine, and we made sort of an alternate plan to extend week five for a week or two more if I needed it in between before I could run the 20 minutes. Well, did, did you need it? I didn't need it. Um, I found at the end of the week, it was the perfect day. I was running really well. And I said, well, let's just keep running until I either hit 20 minutes or drop. How did your body react over these first, you know, three, four weeks as you moved up to that week five? Were you feeling changes in your body? And also, you know, healthy body, healthy, healthy mind. How were you feeling emotionally as you embarked on this for more than just the, the first few days? Well, I think one of the cool things about running, because you're working only with your body, is you really feel the changes. I felt that my lung capacity was better, my breathing was really great, and my legs were getting stronger. Um, so that was a really cool feeling. And on top of that, there is a euphoria with running. I'd always, always heard about that. And I said, now nah, these runners are crazy and they must be lying. But no, you really do have, um, days where you feel amazing. Every run doesn't feel amazing. So I'm going to say that because I'm not promising you, you're going to love every day, but of course, everybody who's overweight would prefer to weigh less. So, um, my goal is optimal health and hoping that weight loss comes with that. Um, at this point, I've lost about 25 pounds since December 27th. 
Different people, of course, run at different speeds, depending on age, gender, weight and other factors. So I was interested to know how From Couch to 5K allows for these differences. The program will say to you, run 10 minutes or one mile. And the fact is, and I've been told this by other runners, it's unlikely that someone coming off the couch would have a 10-minute mile four weeks after they started running or five weeks after they started running. So you have to think of it as time, I think, more than distance, especially, you know, if you're someone like me, if it says run 30 minutes, run 30 minutes. And however far that is, you've run for 30 minutes straight. I actually was off their time quite a bit. I have a 15 or 16 minute mile. So it was going to take more than the couch to 5k plan maybe to get to that 5k. Five kilometers for those who don't know is 3.1 miles and it's the most popular weekend running race distance. Generally speaking at an average community gathering you'll see people finish from a little under 20 minutes to a little over an hour. The From Couch to 5K program splits the difference. The very last day, they give you 40 minutes to do your 5K. Um, but I have heard the program referred to as Couch to 30 Minutes. So um, you just, I mean, if you're doing Couch to 5K for your health, you've got to let go of the whole distance thing. You may not make your 5K in the nine, nine weeks, and you might. The coronavirus epidemic, which shut us down here on the East Coast after just the first race weekend of the season, put many of us in a quandary. There were certainly way bigger things to be concerned about. But just as we missed the community aspect of the local race, many of us also missed having something to aim for. Enter the world of virtual running. About a month and a half into Couch to 5K, a friend of mine showed me that there was a virtual social distance run So I decided to sign up for the 5K virtual run because, A, they were giving away medals. You know, all you had to do was pay 25 bucks. But B, I thought that it would be an inspiration and it would get me to that 5K point. Even if it killed me, I wanted that 5K. So, yes, it does. There is a little bit of pressure that you put on yourself to get the 5K done in the nine weeks. I actually ran my 5K at the end of week eight because... The amazing thing happened. I woke up. I felt really good. I had new running tights and new running shoes. And it was a perfect running day, perfect temperature. And I kept running until I hit 5K. I had to lay down for a long time after that, but I kept running. Well, congratulations on that. Did you get, um, have you seen your medal yet? Yes, my medal and my t-shirt came in the mail just yesterday. And what a thrill. I mean... I never knew I'd be so excited to get something like that. You know, it's a beautiful medal, but it really, it's my reward for the achievement that I made. So I would certainly recommend that people sign up for an actual 5K where there might be a little, little bling for you at the end, just so that you have something to commemorate your, your achievement. I know from my own running that sometimes the euphoria of reaching a goal is quickly combated by a come down. Paula admitted that initially she experienced those same mixed emotions. It it felt great. And then you have that moment, just like, you know, I do theater. And when the theater production is over, you're thinking, wow, what a letdown. What's next? So I formulated a bit of a running plan with a friend of mine and so that I could just keep going. And today's run was 8K. So I'm still moving up. I think my next goal is a 10K. 
one thing I want to say is I'm really grateful that I made a video diary of my run. Um, and I actually have a YouTube channel called Paula's Plant-Based Pilgrimage. But the reason that's so important to me is that I have friends who are now um, wanting to run and I'm able to answer some of the questions about what to do if, you know, what to do if I get to week five and I don't, I can't do 20 minutes, something like that. Paula started running because she felt she had to do something about her health issues. That doesn't mean that running solves everything or that running will necessarily solve your thing. But clearly, in her case, it has made a massive difference. Well, of course, I'm still on the journey, but I would say that I know that I'm not the only one in the world who has had um, a problem with food addiction and with poor health due to food addiction. And I just want you to know that there is hope. There are things that you can do. Um, never give up because the next thing you try might be the thing that makes all the difference in the world. You can find Paula Lucas's video diaries about her running and veganism on YouTube. Search for Paula's plant-based pilgrimage. Hey, you! This is the sound of nature. I recorded it on May 27th, out in the Catskill Mountains. To be specific, I was coming down the Oliveria Mapledale Trail, back to where I'd parked earlier on McKinley Hollow Road in the hamlet of Oliveria. It was Memorial Day here in the States, the public holiday that announces the start of summer, and it was appropriately sizzling, the kind of day that pretty much demands that you get outdoors. I knew that with lockdown procedures just being eased, people would be flocking to the Catskills trails. And why not? They're free, they're varied, they're accessible, and some of them provide the kind of views that, I can assure you from experience, are unmatched anywhere in the world. All the same, I wanted somewhere peaceful. Not so much because I was uncertain about viral transmission, but because I don't generally veer onto the Catskills in search of crowds. Not when there's so many trails you can have largely to yourself. Sure enough, over seven hours and approximately 14 miles, I ran into a grand total of six other people. I only chose my day's trail on getting up in the morning, figuring in part that I could tick off a couple more of the 35s. The 35 mountains in the Catskills over 3,500 feet in height. I know, it's an amazingly convenient coincidence. If you collect the set and redo a specific four of them in winter, you get a certificate and bragging rights. Trouble is, a third of the peaks are off trail and you have to do what's called a bushwhack to reach their summit where you'll find a canister with a notebook inside to sign as proof that you made it. Though I've lived in the region for 15 years, I'd done a grand total of one of these bushwhacks. Fact is, I'm generally more interested in running the mountain trails than skiving my way through them, and in training for a trio of long-distance races held across the mountains in a normal, i.e. non-pandemic year, I tend to gravitate to the same courses. I'm happy with this. And ticking off all 35 of the 3,500 foot peaks remains an ongoing but relatively low priority item on my life to-do list. All the same, I figured that by going up McKinley Hollow and turning left, heading south, 
I could bag Eagle Mountain and Big Indian, avoid the crowds, and, along the way, record my adventures for this show, given that local races and such like that I'd otherwise be featuring have yet to be reinstated. Well, apart from the fact that I didn't officially summit Big Indian, I had no idea it was one of the bushwhacks and that there was a canister a quarter mile off the trail, my recordings weren't very interesting. I can't remember exactly why I stopped at the point I made this recording, but I descended now from a relatively barren summit trail, down into the dense green forest. There were birds chirping somewhere up above, and streams whispering below, and along with the gentle rustle of the trees, I was really struck by that placid and tranquil, yet still visceral, sound of nature. It can be hard to find any form of peace in our world, or with everything going on around mankind. But here it was. Only 45 minutes drive and then a few hundred feet of climbing from my city door. I was happy to have no one around me at that particular moment in time. But still, I want to share it. I'd like other people to know it's available to them. To you. And provided you have access to a car, which I fully understand is not a given, that it's free. And yet the sad truth is, there's a massive discrepancy between the demographics of those who get out into our national parks and trails and the demographics of the country at large. The competitors in the three annual races I participate in on the Catskills trails are almost uniformly white, as are the majority of people I meet on the trails, at least those who aren't foreign tourists. According to the National Park Service, Back in 2015, only 5% of visitors to the parks were black or Hispanic, whereas those races make up fully a quarter of the American population. I know this figure because I searched out some podcasts on the matter, and I found that the second ever episode of Code Switch, the NPR show about race and ethnicity, was dedicated to this very subject. I encourage you to seek it out. I'd also like to recommend a sporadically produced podcast, Outside Voices. Episode 4 features an interview with Brittany Levitt, a rock climber and a hiker, who, among other things, is part of Outdoor Afro, which now has chapters all across the country for regular outdoor meetups, for gardening and skiing, as well as hiking and running. Brittany was also part of the Outdoor Afro team that in 2018 became the first known all-black American group to summit Mount Kilimanjaro. And when you think about that, when you think about Tanzania, when you think about the fact that the US sends more visitors to climb Kilimanjaro than any other country, that achievement seems so ridiculously overdue that I'm almost embarrassed to mention it. Nonetheless, that brings me to the next and final interview for this show. I wanted to follow up on our climb of Kilimanjaro last summer, because, as I really hope I made clear throughout the mini-series, Part of the reason for going on an adventure like that is to get to know the people, the country, the culture, hopefully to foster friendships and understandings. And to be specific about Kili, most of those interactions will come with your crew of Tanzanians. Ours was 19 people strong. Not all of them came all the way up the mountain, but that was the total number of guides, porters, cooks and other assistants required to ensure that the five of us could have a successful summit. We also came to rely on the book Kilimanjaro, The Trekking Guide to Africa's Highest Mountain by Henry Stedman, who also maintains the highly informative ClimbMountKilimanjaro.com website, 
which serves as an online companion to the book. In more recent years, Henry has launched his own tour company, Kilimanjaro Experts, which, among other proactive ethical endeavours, employs female guides, something you do not see often on the mountain. In fact, we didn't see any. I reached out to Henry for more information about how the coronavirus pandemic has been affecting things around Kilimanjaro. We talked via Zoom, Henry from his home in Battle on the south coast of England. I'm going to take it for granted that uh, people have had to cancel or, or preferably postpone their climbs, and that comes with its own hardship. But I'd like to focus on uh, the people at the other end, the Tanzanians that we rely on to get us up the mountain. Can you tell me what it's been like, as best you understand, in Tanzania these last two or three months? Sure, yeah. Um, well, the first thing to say is, and I know this sounds possibly a bit glib, but in one sense, the lockdown and the whole pandemic came at just the right time for Tanzania. Um, for example, our own company, we had uh, trekkers on the mountain up to the end of March, and then nobody for April and May. And that is normal because as you're probably aware, the rainy season, long rains happen in April and May, and you get very few climbs at that time of year. Um, and so most of our porters, most of our crew, they assume that they're not going to be working in April and May and they've got their own projects, whether it's farming, whether it's um, uh, sort of going on courses, et cetera, et cetera. So as I say, in that sense, the pandemic happened at just the right time. So at the moment, things are okay, but it's obviously what's going to happen in the future, as in really from now onwards. Um, because yes, we had bookings in June, we had bookings in July, um, we've got we've still got one remaining booking in July, but everybody else has obviously postponed their trip. Um, so we're trying to mitigate the hardship and the impact that's going to have on our on our crew. Um, and we, we're doing this in a couple of ways. Um, firstly, I have to mention the generosity of some of our um, trekkers who've already climbed with us, who have got in touch with us and have said, "Look, our crew were amazing. Um, we recognise the work they do and the hardships they suffer." can we provide you know can we actually donate some money to them and we've had we as i say we haven't asked for any of this haven't solicited any of these donations they've just come from our trackers who've just contacted us and said look can we send money to them so that's been very helpful um and uh, myself and david my, my business partner um and joshua uh, our guy in tanzania um who actually should take most of the credit with this he has rented out some land um in the in the Kilimanjaro region for our crews to farm for our porters and guides and uh, uh, to to, um, to farm and we've also got a guy from uh, Uganda who's come over uh, and he's teaching them how to farm the land um, obviously to feed their families but also any excess they manage to uh, to grow they can sell in the markets um, so that's a long-term plan in the medium term we've still sort of getting them on courses where there's still courses going on um, there is the odd sort of climb that's been organised by KPAP. Um, you're aware of the um, uh, the NGO that uh, looks after the welfare of porters, does some great uh, work out in Tanzania, run by a lady called Karen Valenti. Um, and they've been organising uh, things such as um, treks on the mountain where they tidy up the mountain, where they uh, clear up the rubbish and that kind of thing. So there's lots of different projects going on but I'm not pretending that these are going to 100% ameliorate the impact that the COVID-19 pandemic is having because 
we've already got treks in October that we've had to postpone. You know, people have have asked to postpone. Uh, and to be honest, I don't see there being many treks this year and possibly next year either. We've we've got guidelines from the Tanzanian government about how treks should operate and how safari should operate in the future and obviously the tanzanian government are very very keen for the tourist industry to start up it's a very vital source of foreign income for them um, and so we've got these guidelines as to how things should happen but we can't really work out in reality how to follow those guidelines and to have a successful and to have successful tracks and successful safaris um, safaris we can just about manage we can see how they can continue into the long term but treks i think it's going to be tricky um, because of the nature of tracking because of the fact we've got to watch our uh, trackers very closely and make sure that their um you know that, that their health is, is is being maintained um it's it's going to be very very awkward so yeah we're, we're still looking at ways at how to um how tracks continue continue in long term and if they can't how our crews can uh, can find some other way of earning income. The Tanzanian government hasn't exactly covered itself in glory um, with regard to coronavirus. Um, as you might have read, uh, the, the, the prime minister himself was saying, uh, uh, you know, go to church, it's fine to go to church, you can't get coronavirus in your, if you're in a house of God. And they kept the markets open. All these things were really not advised by the World Health Organization. Um, and so we don't know the full scale of uh, the pandemic in Tanzania, but it's likely to be quite huge and there's no sign of it abating yet. Um, and just this morning I was getting emails from um, uh, Amani, which is a children's home in Moshi, saying that because the schools are shut, so a lot of the kids are going onto the streets and the police are threatening to sort of round them all up and lock them away. It's, yeah, and that kind of brings home to you just how serious the situation could get in Tanzania. So. If, if you don't want to donate to us or you don't want to contact us, that's fine. But if you look up Amani, A-M-A-N-I, um, which is a children's home on the outskirts of Moshi, um, they certainly need donations and they're, they're begging for donations. Any help you can uh, provide for them would obviously be gratefully received. Gosh, can you see a point? Can, I mean, what are you saying if I was to call you up right now and say, Henry, can I, can I climb Kilimanjaro in the near future? I'm willing to take risks, I'm willing to travel, I feel healthy. What would you be saying to me about the prospect of when I can make the climb? I would be saying that you really need to read what I've been putting on the website. Um, we're happy to organize climbs, that's obviously we are, we're, you know, that's, part of the, that's the business really. Um, but the last thing I want is somebody booking a climb and then turning around and uh, and having to postpone it against their will and being very angry with us because um because they say they weren't informed is i would be very surprised I, I think maybe by october things might have got back to some sort of level of normality um july august i'm very doubtful about i have to say um, and that's the kind of stuff I'm writing to people who who are asking about climbs um, in the, in those months. I'm saying, look, just to be honest, you know, we'd love to welcome you along, but I think it's unlikely that those climbs are going to happen at the moment. So, um, in in closing, I'm just uh, reviewing that people can, if they if they feel anybody who's hearing this who has climbed Kilimanjaro or was thinking of it, 
um, they can through the resources we've mentioned at least find ways to try and help those whose whose work may not have suffered so much in April and May but it sounds like it's going to be suffering for, for months to come um, and those people of course are on uh, a, a ridiculous minimum wage to begin with and very very reliant on the cash tips that uh, that uh, us you know Western tourists bring with us I think that's important to mention it's not like they're getting rich climbing the mountain yeah, absolutely. Yes. And if, if, you know, if you've climbed the mountain before, then you know how hard the porters work and how much they rely on the tips and, and the wages. Um, and, you know, if you've got that kind of respect, as pretty much everybody does, every climber who climbs Kilimanjaro has, if you've got that respect and love for the people who took you to the top and you've got any of their email addresses or anything like that, just get in touch with them. It may be six months or a year since you contacted them, but they'd still welcome that kind of contact. And obviously, if you can provide any sort of financial help um they that would be very very much appreciated yeah absolutely absolutely because i think things are going to get a lot worse before they get better put it that way right before taping this show i checked in further on the situation in tanzania and read that just the day before june 9th president john magafuli had claimed that the country had eradicated coronavirus quote by the grace of god quote at a speech in a church where he celebrated the congregation for not wearing masks this came just days after his claim that there were only four remaining cases in the country's biggest city, Dar es Salaam, which has around 5 million people. Tanzania's official death toll from COVID-19 stands at 21. And if that sounds low, well, that's because the country has not updated its data since April 29th. An article in Al Jazeera on the 12th of May detailed accounts of mass burials of 45 death certificates. It quoted the leader of the opposition party, Freeman and Bowie, as stating that many people are dying, which was an understandable comment given that three members of parliament had passed away in just 11 days at the end of April, officially from unknown causes, though you can draw your own conclusions. It may or may not be unrelated to all of this that also on June the 9th, at the end of the same day that the president claimed coronavirus had been eradicated, and Bowie was attacked on returning to his home and left with a broken leg. Regardless, Tanzania's an amazing, beautiful country with some of the greatest people you could hope to meet. And you have to put aside the headlines if you want to meet them. In fact, if you only went by the headlines, you would never leave your home. To illustrate that point, I had wanted to tell a story based on my year of travel in 2016 with my younger, then 11-year-old son and a comment he made at the end of it all. But then I realised that Mark Twain said it better. Travel is fatal to prejudice, bigotry and narrow-mindedness. And many of our people need it sorely on these accounts. Of course, travel itself is a privilege. That's something that the Barefoot Backpacker addressed in a recent episode of his podcast, Travel Tales Beyond the Brochure. He followed that up with an excellent episode about the history of apartheid in South Africa. Based on his very scary discovery that few people, even among his online followers, know anything about it. So that's Travel Tales Beyond the Brochure. And as of June 10th, those are the two most recent episodes that will come up. Travel, of course, is what you make of it. And given that we're still such a long ways off being able to resume any real kind of foreign exploration and adventure, then maybe for now, it means travelling within our communities, aiming for a better understanding of the people around us. There are, for sure, many ways to step outside your comfort zone and enrich your life. 
and I look forward to diving further into them on future episodes. One Step Beyond is produced fortnightly from the desk of Tony Fletcher. If you have comments, and especially if you have a good story about stepping outside your own comfort zone in a way that enriches your life, please get in touch. You can email onestepbeyond at ijamming.net, where you can also subscribe to regular updates. Or you can find the show on social media. Search for One Step Beyond Podcast. Links for these and for this episode's guests can also be found in the show notes. Thanks to the group Madness for permission to use their music and Mark Lerner for the logo. The next episode will drop in two weeks. Until then, I hope you stay healthy, stay positive and, above all, and in all senses, stay active.